Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to a special episode of the Progressive Britain podcast. Bridget Phillipson, Shadow Chief Secretary to the Treasury, opened up the first ever Labour to Win convention this past weekend. And her speech was so good and so well received that we had to clip it for you so you can listen at your leisure. It's a fantastic overview of what we need to do for Labour to win. So without further ado, Bridget Phillipson. Thank you to everyone involved in Labour to Win and to everyone in progress and Labour First too for keeping alive that focus on how Labour isn't just there to win the arguments, uh, but that we need to win the elections too, because it's great to be here with Labour under new management and ready for that challenge. With a big set of important elections coming up in the spring in Scotland, in Wales, in London and in local government across England. And that focus matters today as much as ever. But important as every election in May is, I want us to keep our eyes on a much bigger prize still. We need Labour in government, not just locally, not just in London, Wales and Scotland, but at Westminster, and not just for a term, but for a generation. Last December was a failure, not just for our party, but for working people in Britain. They needed then, and they need today, a Labour government to rebuild our society and to change our country for the better. To lose any election is a disaster, but to do so at that scale was catastrophic. But losing is something that in recent decades we've got a bit too good at. I was 21 when Labour last won a general election back in 2005, and it will be 19 years since that last happened when 2024 arrives. And that hill that we have to climb since December 2019 is huge. But hills are there to be climbed, not to be commented on. And it's easy to bathe in warm nostalgia about 1997, 2001 and even 2005, but it doesn't get us anywhere. We need to understand our past, but we don't need to live in it. We need to be clear that winning in 2024 is our ambition and that in reaching to achieve it, we will need to be disciplined, focused and ready for power as never before. And that isn't just for those of us on the front bench, it's for all of us in the Labour Party. The party that we need to build now is one that looks outward to the electorate and forward to the challenges ahead, not backwards to the past and inwards for legitimacy. And I mean that organisationally and I mean that politically too. Harold Wilson described the Labour Party organisation in 1955 after an earlier crushing defeat as a penny farthing machine in a jet age. And now in September 2020, we haven't won a general election since iPhones were invented. 
The entire history of Facebook and Twitter in the UK is since Labour last won. Our party cannot ever just become a parliamentary pressure group. We can and we must be a party of working people in every corner of our country and we must learn to win power again. I'm proud that our membership today stands at well over half a million people, but that still means that 99 people in every hundred in our country aren't members. And I worry that we've got out of the habit of talking to them because making our own echo chamber larger is no substitute for knocking its walls down. The media environment also has changed, perhaps forever, and our party and our methods need to change too. So while it's great to speak to you today, and I appreciate the irony in what I'm about to say, I know that the people who need to hear from Labour front benches most aren't you, nor are they the hundreds of thousands of people who follow Labour MPs on Twitter or like them on Facebook, nor are they GC delegates at CLP meetings. And although I'm finding ways to make sure that I keep talking with my constituents using Zoom, we need to do more than just hold seats like mine to win power. The people we need to reach too often live in seats that don't have Labour MPs or Labour councils. They don't follow the news much, they don't follow politicians on Twitter, and they don't have time to follow the detail of policies that don't affect them. And they don't care much for reporting that often sounds a lot like gossip. Some of them may be unconvinced that voting changes much. There are millions of people like this, perhaps tens of millions. There isn't a, sim a simple story of who they are and where they live, even in a single constituency. They are not all retired miners, nor are they all young idealists. Many of them never went to university, but many did and now have the debts to match. They don't all watch the same TV or use social media in the same way. They probably don't ascribe the same importance to party politics as we do, but there the commonalities end. There are a few shortcuts to understanding. Many of them, perhaps most of them, have never voted Labour. There is no simple narrative of recapture or restoration. There'll be people voting at the next general election who were not alive when Labour last won a general election. So it's not enough to frame our task as winning people back. The road to the future doesn't run through the past. And we need not just to win in 2024, but to win again in 2029. We need to build a coalition that sustains us in power, as Harold Wilson and Tony Blair both did. These are the people we need to reach and have for a generation failed to do so. And we need to do more than reach them. These are the people Labour needs to persuade. And that can't just be on their doorstep, but through everything they see of us and everything they hear about us. These are the people our organisation and each of us as campaigners need to have in our minds every day, not just between now and May 2021, but every day between now and May 2024. And politically, we need to reach them too. We need to think about their concerns a bit more and our concerns a bit less than we have done in the past 15 years. Now, that doesn't mean running from our values or from the social progress that we've delivered in our time in government. But too often I hear calls for us to recapture our traditions, to look back to a misty-eyed world of back-breaking manual labour, paid employment in a skilled world being the preserve of men, and women shut out of higher education and professions. Too often people forget that women, for migrants and for minorities in our community, the past isn't just a foreign country, it wasn't always a very welcoming country. So to go forwards, we don't need to reenact the past, but we do need to understand the priorities of the people who haven't been given us a hearing. We need to listen, we need to learn, and we need to use their language. When people told us they thought that we were going to spend money on things our country didn't need, we can't just tell them that they were wrong. When people complain about local services being terrible and we nod and talk over them about the impact of austerity, we cannot be surprised that they don't think this, we see things as they do. 
Our language and our framing must reflect the world as our electors see it, not as how we might discuss it in a GC. And when people told us, as many of my constituents told me in that wintry rain last November, that they didn't trust us with their security, telling them that they're wrong just gets us nowhere. We have to ask why and we have to fix it. Because in the last decade, we've seen the Tories rip up the language of security, of responsibility and of competence from us. Their success with this framing must be a wake up call for all of us. Achieving security for people is what Labour does in government using the power of the state, of collective action to secure better outcomes for each of us and for all of us is what Labour is for. Security is about decent jobs and health and education and decent housing. It's about knowing that you're protected against discrimination on the grounds of sex or colour or disability. It's knowing that if you fall ill, you'll be looked after. It's knowing that you'll have work tomorrow and a roof over your head. In the world of the pandemic and in the years ahead, security is precisely what the government is failing to deliver. Yet in December, people thought it might put their security at risk to see a Labour government elected. Their personal security, their economic security, their national security. No wonder it was a triumph for the Conservative Party. We can never let that happen again. So we have to recapture that sense of what security means and we have to project it. In electing Kia and Angela in April with an overwhelming mandate, we have begun to take those first steps back on the road to power. And we are once again in a place to be heard on security, competence and responsibility. It's a long road ahead, but we have started. To have drawn level with the Tories at a time when incumbent governments all over the world have been enjoying a bounce in support isn't just an indictment of the government, it's a tribute to them both. It is an immense privilege to serve in a shadow cabinet united by a hunger to win and led by someone so clearly ready to be Prime Minister. Every Wednesday, I join the tiny number of people who watch PMQs, and I look forward to the day when Kia answers the questions rather than asks them. But I also remember how many people don't watch PMQs and the challenge we face in ensuring that they see the contrast that we all see between Kia and Johnson. I'm especially proud to serve in a Shadow Treasury team with Shadow Chancellor Annalisa Dodds and with colleagues from across our party, Pat McFadden, Dan Carden, Dan Carden and Wes Streeting. I'm proud that the Shadow Treasury team is central to recapturing what we mean by competence, security and responsibility. Annalisa's response to the summer statement set out very clearly what is wrong with the government's response. The Tories have, as she laid out, allowed fear to stalk our, economy, our, our country. Fear of coronavirus, fear of infecting loved ones, fear of unemployment, fear of homelessness. And as Annalisa said, fear is corrosive and fear is hurting our economy. Because when people have security, they are not afraid. But here in Britain, our government is failing us. We've seen one of the worst health outcomes and one of the worst economic outcomes in the developed world. A government that stole the language of security from Labour has failed to secure people's health and as a result is failing to secure the economic recovery we need. Every week, you'll hear Annalisa, Dan, Wes, Pat and I demanding that the government change its course. And I'm starting to hear Tories complaining that we need to change the record, that we need to stop talking about how their one size fits all approach to the ending of the furlough scheme and the need for a targeted furlough extension. Well, we'll stop telling them they're wrong when they stop getting it wrong. I represent a seat where thousands of people have jobs in one of Britain's biggest car plants and thousands more have jobs in the supply chain industries that depend on that plant. It terrifies me that the government isn't prepared to engage with the reality that they face very different challenges from companies whose staff can do all their work from home. 
It's even worse for people working in sectors which have either been closed altogether for months like hospitality or like aviation who face years of uncertainty ahead, wondering whether after will come. It isn't just lazy and it isn't just incompetent, it's deeply irresponsible. They are playing politics with people's jobs and with people's livelihoods. In every seat in the country, in every council ward, in every mayoralty, we need people to realise the economic mess that we are in, the concerns people share and the fear that far too many people feel. These are not accidents of fate. These are deliberate decisions by the government. This is a mess by choice, not chance. And in every, every electoral contest come May, the Tories and the SNP need to be held to account for failing for each and every community and each and every hard hit sector. Now that doesn't mean a blizzard of statistics on leaflets. It means being clear that Labour would have done things differently and would have done so better. It means relating that message to every community and to people in every line of work. We would not be standing by while long established industries prepare to make redundancies by the thousands. We would not be pretending that childcare and aviation are no worse hit than any other sector. We would not be pretending that asking everyone to work from home is without consequence, especially for women. Because one of the ironies of recent months is that the government are forever telling us about how they're building new systems based on vast amounts of data. We hear of new open plan offices where Cummings and his acolytes, the ones that haven't been sacked, gaze at screens full of numbers and charts. And yet the irony is that even if they look at it, they refuse to use any of it. The government isn't data driven. Data isn't even a backseat driver here. For them, data is for sure. We're acting out some fantasy of how government works. For them, it isn't for spotting problems in our economy. It isn't for identifying needs or informing change. Again, it's not just lazy. With knowledge and power comes responsibility, and they have shirked it. Too hard, they say, again and again. Annalisa and I call it stubbornness. On Thursday, the Treasury Select Committee called it intransigence. Whatever you call it, it's holding Britain back. Britain desperately needs the government to change course. And across the country as a whole, we need to see our economy transformed to fit the challenges of the future. The BBC tells me it's going to be around 30 degrees in London next week. I don't know if this could be the hottest September on record, but what worries me is that it might be the coldest September for the century to come. Ed Miliband and Matt Pennycook have laid out the scale of what the government needs to do to drive down emissions. The Chancellor promising a three billion pound green jobs plan at a time when our economy desperately needs support is perhaps even less ambitious than the Conservative manifesto promise of 9.2 billion between 2019 and 2024, written at a time before COVID. The summer statement and the whole government response wasn't just a missed opportunity for sustaining the jobs of the present, but a missed opportunity to support creating the jobs of the future. And in the months ahead, between now and Thursday the 6th of May 2021, we need to draw that contra contrast between their stubbornness and our alternative again and again, and to make sure that people never forget it. But to win big, not just in 2021, but in 2024, it won't be enough to tell people that the government isn't up to it. It's true, but it isn't enough. In making that argument, we need to remember that back in December, people liked much of what we said, but they didn't trust us to run the government better than the Tories. One of the reasons was that people liked our policies, but weren't sure we could be trusted to deliver them. Too many people weren't convinced we could run the government, and too many of them feared for their own and the country's economic security. It doesn't matter whether those fears were right, they were real all the same. And that's something we all have to remember. And as Shadow Chief Secretary to the Treasury, I have to remember it above all else. Because the issue is that we didn't just fail to win the election. The issue we need to face up to is that whatever some people see, say, 
we also failed to win the argument. And making the same arguments again isn't going to see us win next time. And that's why we need to be alive to the concerns people have about tax and the economy, just as much as we are to the concerns they have around schools, railways, GP surgeries, hospitals or housing. It's no good having the correct view on everything if no one trusts you to put it into practice. And that means we need to be disciplined about the spending promises we make now, both about the response to the pandemic and about the next Labour government. The government spends a huge amounts of money, but it doesn't spend it all wisely and it doesn't spend it all well. £10.8 million for an app that doesn't even exist. Untold hundreds of millions, perhaps even billions, on a job retention bonus scheme that quite literally hands over money to businesses whether they need it or not. And this week, £100 billion for putting in place a new testing system to the one they've already been telling us all summer is world beating. It will be funny if it weren't so irresponsible. Labour's choices would be different. If you believe government can be a force for good, then you must also believe that every pound spent should be spent to achieve most. It says so much about the Conservatives that their attitude to public spending is either to starve services of the money they need or to hand it out without regard for whether it makes any difference. Neither is good enough, neither is responsible, and Labour would be responsible both about what we spend money on and what we don't. We don't know whether the virus will be defeated by then or whether the pandemic will be over or how long we'll have to wait before the next one. It could be another century or more, it could already be on its way. So we don't know what the inheritance of the next Labour government will look like in terms of taxation, spending, debt or growth. And we're not going to know that until much nearer the time. And we need to get our economic and fiscal stance right then, not to prejudge it now. I want Annalisa as the first woman to be Chancellor of the Exchequer to have the freedom to make the right call for a Labour vision for our economy in her first budget in 2024. And that means being careful about the commitments we make as a party every week between now and then. We cannot be thought of as a party whose reaction to every problem is that the answer is more spending. It's a habit that we've got into and it's a habit we need to break. Lastly, even in the, these dark times for our country and after a general election defeat for us unmatched in the era of one adult, one vote, we must always remember that we stand for more than being an alternative to the Tories. Achieving a Labour government means doing more than having values of solidarity, tolerance and respect. It's about putting them into practice and the belief that the future can be better than the past. The government is not just about reacting to events, but about changing our country and with it the world. Years ago, Tony Judd argued that if social democracy has a future, it is a social democracy of fear, that we need to speak more assertively of past gains. But there are plenty of parties offering a politics of more colour and excitement, more dreams and ambition, than a simple defence of what we once had. We need to keep alive that vision of progress and optimism that society can indeed be better tomorrow than it is today and that our best days are truly yet to come. And the task that faces us now is to do better than that. Up against opponents who use lies and fear, we need a social democracy, not just of truth, responsibility, competence and security, but something more. We also need a social democracy of hope. And I'm convinced that that is the only way we can win and we will win again. So in the run up to the elections next spring and in the years that stretch ahead to 2024, I want to put three challenges to everyone who wants Labour to win. Everyone who knows that as well as needing Labour councillors and Senate members and MSPs and mayors, we need a Labour government in Westminster too. They are the challenges for our party and for each of us. Firstly, that more of the time we spend for Labour is spent reaching people who don't already vote for us than discussing our politics with people who do. Second, to draw the contrast with the Tories again and again by using our framing and our language of the voters, 
not their framing and our language. And thirdly, to think clearly about how the culture needs to change in our party so that we face outward and forward and win, as it says in the rule book, the trust of the people to govern. Because while today fear is corroding our society and economy, no Britain can be better and no one except Labour is going to make it better. The challenge in the months and years ahead is never to lose sight of that prize and never to stop putting it first. Together, we can do it. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.